the truth. This puppet show stays on because of you. We've been dancing with the devil way too long. I know it's fun, but get ready to pay your dues. Oh, God, come back home. This crazy world is filled and abusers. Need you now before we're too far gone. I hope one day they finally see the truth. God, we need you now. We need you now. We need you now. We need you now. You know, couldn't be more further than it is so true, actually. We actually do need God more than anything, and not so much to save us. Um but to provide clarity. So I had to reboot my system. I'm using a computer I've never used to stream from. Um, so, so I apologize for the delay, but it seems like my attorney was in a black hole and we had like conversations to go over with a lot of the attorneys. Um, and I was just wound up, you know, in my life, I've learned that it's very astonishing throughout history um, what people can actually live through, right? It's, 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 it's a lot, uh, you know, like the tsunami that hit, you know, the islands out in the East, they were all devastated, but then they were suddenly cheery afterwards. And if you think about it, they can, they can, human beings can do impossible things especially when the odds are in their favor. The uh, the odds are not in their favor. So Edward Hirsch had said, it's possible. You might be the first, and I'm not saying it's impossible, but the odds are very much against you. Now, this is something that he said in one of his poems, and I want to encourage anyone out there that may feel the need to hear this, is that, You don't do things because you're going to win. You know, it's like me running a race against someone with no legs. I'm going to win. It's like me. uh, I'm not going to say it because then it's going to give away stuff. (laughs) It's, It's very important to fight when all the odds are against you. Because that is indeed what makes humankind so amazing. Um, I want to say so much and I can't because there's things happening and I can't say them. I want to. I want to let you guys know, but I can't. I really can't. So I have observed... Um, a lot of the chats that are around and it seems that a lot of you are still doing the same ass shit that has us in the position we are now. You're too busy 
looking at who's in charge and how important someone is rather than getting to work. You're going through rabbit holes. Oh, don't follow them. Follow me. Oh, this guy is a shill and he's bad. That one is too. Nobody gives a fuck. Just get to work. Why is it that so many people are so obsessed with who's who and, oh, they have interactions with this person and that person? Hmm? Why is it that everyone's so involved with bullshit and stirring pots and talking shit and spilling stupid tea when in the end, you're not going to have fucking shit to do? It's like, I'm looking at this stuff and I'm like, what the hell is going on? You know, I had a, a conversation which um, with one of the uh, admins in your state groups, Florida group, Pam. And, you know, she bought us dinner. I wanted to like um, take the receipt and give it to a friend of mine that's been aching to take me to dinner. But she bought it and I just finished the rest of it actually this afternoon because I ordered way more than I could eat. But I ate some for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Anyway, um, you know, what you guys don't realize is in on Telegram, there's two types of people um, organizing. People that want your data. Mm-hmm. Who are you? Where are you? What's your name? Date of birth, the whole nine yards. And then they crunch it into a system. Data, 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 data. Let's get the metrics. And then there's people that actually want to work. Um, they have their own groups. It's their own state. They're in charge. Thank you, Tonal Grace. They're in charge. They, um, look around their community, what there is to do and how they can assist in Ohio, for example, I'm better at this. So listen to me. And it's like, nobody's in charge. We're all in charge in the state rooms. Everyone's in charge. It's not about you. It's not about your vision. It's not about what you think. You are not important. It's what we, the collective, think. Even in Ohio, I don't say what goes. No. Everybody has a say. Everybody has a discussion. Everybody is part of the same community. It's not what this guy wants and that guy wants. Think about it. Remember when... um right? When they created and replicated the groups um, that have spun off from Tori Says, what did they do? They didn't do any calls for action. They wanted your name and stuff so you can go and protest. Other than that, they were just shit talking other people, which is counterproductive. You do something that I can't talk about today. But I want you guys to keep in mind that these are, this is the way your states are and your communities are. You have some loser that thinks that they're more important than others. And then their ideas are better and you should listen to them. Kind of sounds like the people that are selected right now in office. And it doesn't matter what the community wants or if it works, they'll just convince you that their way is the only way. And that is what you must do. Um, Aside from that, I'm seeing anything. How are you helping the situation? Oh, well, I just got pointing stuff out so 
people know. And how does this help? Are the people doing anything those people are saying? No. So why are you giving any shits? Why are you allocating your bandwidth to that drama? That is key. Because there's a lot of stuff that people can be doing. I know a lot of groups are doing. There was a lawsuit filed against the CIA. I want you guys to see this. Damn, I wish I could talk. Here we go. Okay. Has done nothing to help. If I were in charge of a government to whom nine citizens that we are suing for have been brainwashed without their knowing, have had their lives impaired, and have it done by a foreign agency, undercover without the government of Canada knowing it, I would find a way to help those people instead of hindering them. Tests were conducted in secret in the United States and in Canada at a mental hospital attached to McGill University. Experimental drugs, including LSD, were administered to human guinea pigs. The patients were never told that their treatment was part of a CIA experiment. Nine Canadians are now suing the U.S. government for a million dollars apiece. They charge that their lives were disrupted forever as a result of the brainwashing. Despite the fact that the CIA operated secretly in Canada to fund these medical experiments on Canadian citizens, the federal government in Ottawa has joined hands with the government in Washington to hold back vital information which might at last reveal all the sordid details. In Winnipeg, Val Orlico spends a lot of time tending her plants. It's one of the few hobbies she has left. She used to devour books and write long letters. Now she can't concentrate on a book for more than a single page, and writing a letter is beyond her. She's on medication 24 hours a day. If she wasn't married to David Orlico, an NDP member of Parliament, she might never have learned the full story of what happened to her. I better get out the tomatoes and the green pepper and... In 1956, suffering from depression after childbirth, Mrs. Orlico was referred by her Winnipeg doctor to a top psychiatrist in Montreal. Unknowingly, she was about to become part of a cruel CIA experiment, codenamed MKUltra. In Langley, Virginia, Outside of Washington stands the headquarters of the Central Intelligence Agency, protected by walls of secrecy as high as the tree. Stored inside computers like this one is what's left of the CIA files on the MK Ultra project. Convinced the Soviets and Chinese had perfected brainwashing during the Korean War, the agency sought to perfect its own techniques, both to protect its agents and to use as a weapon. Who, who did you meet with in the safe house? The CIA man overseeing the project was John Gittinger. There was continued pressure put upon anybody within uh, the agency in connection with trying to explain or understand uh, brainwashing. So we were charged with rather an elaborate attempt to try to find out chemical, psychological, any kind of means <clears throat> that people could use to influence the behavior of the people. In Montreal, on the side of the mountain overlooking the city stands an ancestral home bearing a name worthy of an Edgar Allan Poe horror tale, Ravenscrag. Donated to McGill, Ravenscrag became the Allen Memorial Institute for the Treatment of Mental Illness. Here the CIA channeled money for MKUltra, subproject 68, which became a real-life horror tale. The project chief in Montreal was Dr. Ewan Cameron, world-renowned chairman of the Department of Psychiatry at McGill and director of the Allen Memorial Institute. 
The CIA secretly funded the medical experiments through a front in New York City called, of all things, the Society for the Protection of Human Ecology. Documents show that the agency had been impressed with earlier work done at McGill in sensory deprivation, work that was useful in designing sophisticated torture techniques later on. But at the time, brainwashing looked even more promising, and Dr. Cameron was the perfect one to carry out the work. An American citizen with a world-class reputation operating outside of the United States. Dr. Cameron certainly had the credentials. At various times, president of the Canadian, the American, and even the World Psychiatric Association. These are the days and hours are the occasions. In an address to colleagues from around the world, Cameron showed that he certainly knew the potential of the human mind for good and bad. And it is his mind, no less, which may destroy mankind. Val Orlico came to the Allen for her postpartum depression. Everybody in the hospital was very much in awe of Dr. Cameron. And he strode the halls like a giant. And people would say, oh, there but for God goes God. And to me, I thought, how could he possibly ever take me for a patient? Who am I? I mean, this great man who's done all these marvelous things. And, uh, boy, I better work hard and I better do everything that he tells me to do. And, you know, I don't want to lose this opportunity to get well. Like Mrs. Orlico, Mrs. Janine Huard of Montreal came to Dr. Cameron depressed after childbirth. The depression was made worse by a hearing problem that coincided with the birth of her child. She, too, was in awe of Dr. Cameron. He was a very, very uh, impressive man. And I was told he was the best doctor in Amer North America. So um, he would um, look at you a few minutes, ask you a few questions, and then proceed with uh, the treatments. But I never saw him once in all the times that I saw him that I wasn't afraid. Every time I went down to his office, I would shake with fear. And every time I'd see him coming down the hall, I'd shake with fear. But I adored him. Dr. Elliot Emanuel knew Cameron. He was uh, an authoritarian, ruthless, power-hungry, nervous, tense angry man. Not very nice. At Ravenscrag, Dr. Cameron went further with drugs and electric shock treatments than any of the U.S. researchers in the MK Ultra project dared. His aim was to wipe the mind clean. Then he would implant new messages by forcing the patient to listen to a hypnotic repetition as many as a quarter of a million times. This was called psychic driving. Most of the drugs used in the program were experimental, and some dangerous. There was the tranquilizer artane, a paralysis-inducing anectine, and curare, which pygmies tipped their arrows with to paralyze victims. Bulbocapnine, another experimental tranquilizer, and lysergic acid diethylamide, the hallucinogen LSD. In her room at Ravenscrag, Mrs. Orlico waited for her first treatment. Well, I saw Trey with um, hypodermic, with a needle, a syringe. And uh, the card on it had my name, so I looked a little more closely. And it was lysergic acid diethylamide. 
and my husband was a druggist, and I knew a lot of drugs, but I'd never heard of that one. And uh, so I phoned a friend and uh, who was a psychiatric nurse, and I said, do you know what it is? And she said, I never heard of it. But she had a friend who was a psychiatrist, so she phoned her friend, and she called me back, and she said, um, he said that this stuff causes poisonous psychosis. She said he said not to take it. Well, I thought, you know, he's a very Freudian psychiatrist and doesn't believe in any medication of any kind. And after all, here's Dr. Cameron. I mean, he's the big doctor and he's, you know, he's known all over the world and he wouldn't do anything that would harm me, etc. And so I took the injection and I didn't like it. And it really did create a poisonous psychosis. LSD, with all its frightening mental images, was scarcely known at the time. But the CIA secretly brought some in from Switzerland, where it had just been developed. The room became very distorted, and I thought my bones were all melting. And uh, I, I just wanted to scream that I wanted to get out of there. And I saw the squirrels outside, and I thought, they're not the squirrels. I'm the squirrel. I'm in this cage and I can't get out. And I started to throw myself from side to side in the room. And I couldn't write. They had given me a pencil and paper and asked me to write down. But I couldn't write. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't focus. I couldn't. I don't know. It was like some kind of funny hell I'd fallen into and I couldn't get out. And I don't know how long that went on. It was just a terrible nightmare. And I just felt that my life was threatened. I could never go back to what I'd been. Robert Logie of Vancouver was 18 when he came to the Allen complaining of trembling and severe leg pains, diagnosed as psychosomatic. Like Mrs. Orlico and Mrs. Huard, he had no inkling he was to be part of a CIA experiment. The uh, LSD was... Uh very horrifying and uh, they gave it to me for about 12 or 15 times one minute I would see the doctor there the next minute I wouldn't see him there and uh, they were asking me all kinds of questions and uh, I remember them telling me that I was getting smaller and smaller and I really felt myself getting smaller and uh, they were bringing me back in time way back uh, you know at one point I almost felt like I was just about to be uh, born <laughs> really that far back in memory and uh, they were really really probing uh, asking all kinds of questions and uh, I felt I didn't have any control I had to answer I didn't feel I had any control I was completely uh, like they had complete control over me. Mrs. Huard like the others was forced to pay for the so-called treatment massive electric shocks and all the drugs. They would give me as much as 40 pills a day and uh, I would ask the nurse what is that? They would say it's a new drug and they only name it by a number. What did all those drugs do to you? How did they make well, you feel? Well, I, um, I was very, very strong, well-powered. So these drugs kind of, kind of uh, desensitized me. They would uh, put lower my, uh, my reactions. They would lower my resistance. As well as the experimental drugs and massive electric shock treatments, Mrs. Huard was subjected to psychic driving. Hypnotic-like messages were repeated over and over to a sleeping patient. 
sometimes for as long as 16 hours in a row. They were a key part of the mind control experiment. This is how Mrs. Huard remembers one of the messages. Why are you running away from your responsibility, Jinin? Why, Jinin? Why? Jinin, why are you running why away, are you running from, away from your responsibility? Why are you running away from your responsibility, Why are you running away from your responsibility? I would try very strongly not to be not to let my mind be capturing all the messages, but they would lower my resistance so much with the heavy drugs, but I, could, I couldn't do otherwise than listen. Did you ever ask them how any of this was making you better? No, I didn't ask questions. I was just say, I don't want to go through it again. And I would cry. I didn't want to, you know. I knew it. Way down in my heart, I knew it wasn't good, but, uh, you know, how could you fight? You're in a, in a hospital where it's supposed to be the best, with the best doctors, so what can you do? I'd say, I can't. I can't take it anymore. I can't stand it. I don't think this is doing me any good. I feel worse. And he'd walk down the hall a little way with me and put his arm on my shoulder. And come on now, Lassie, you know you're going to do it. And finally, I'd say, well, okay. And off we'd go to my room and he would give me another injection and then pat me on the shoulder and off he'd be again. I had LSD, I believe, a total of 14 times. And uh, sometimes there would be four days between the injections and sometimes there would be one consecutive day after the other. And uh, some of them I managed to write down things in my notes to Dr. Cameron. A newly declassified CIA document shows there was at least one voice of protest at the agency as the experiments got underway. One agent wrote, Does Project Officer approve these immoral and inhuman tests? I suggest that all who are in favor of the above intended operation volunteer their heads for use in Dr. So-and-so's noble project. The names were deleted. In her hospital room, a terrified Mrs. Orlico tried to hide like a child at the sound of Dr. Cameron's approaching footsteps. I heard him coming, and I hid in the washroom in my room. And I thought, well, I'll go and sit on the toilet. Nobody will see me. Anyhow, that didn't work because um, he knocked on the door, and he said, now, come on, Lassie, you know you're in there, and come on, you come out and let me give you your injection. And I said, no, I'm not taking any more injections. I can't do it. I don't care if I die. I can't. I can't do it anymore because this is killing me and that's all there is to it. I can't do it. Well, he wasn't very happy about it. And um, however, after a little discussion, he turned on his heel and left the room. The electric shock treatments were administered on an unprecedented scale. It was called depatterning. The mind was short-circuited so the psychic driving hypnotic messages could be planted on a clean slate. There is now no known use of electric shocks on such a scale, even in Soviet mental asylums where political crimes are punished. Psychiatrist and former colleague of Dr. Cameron, Dr. Elliot Emanuel. As you probably know, 
electroshock treatment has been given for depression for something like 40 years now. It's a very successful and uh, useful treatment for severe depression that doesn't respond to other things. But depatterning is a use of electroshock treatment in a totally different way, in which instead of giving the shocks, say, two or three times a week, uh, they're given two or three times a day for three or four weeks, reducing the patient to a sort of animal, vegetable state from which it's hoped that they would recover in a, uh, a more healthy state of mind. It didn't work. I was there for a while, and I thought, I, I don't want to stay here, and I, and I started to run away from the uh, hospital, and they grabbed me, and then they put me on sleep treatment. And now they kept you asleep for 23 days, and while I was asleep, they were shocking the heck out of me with electric shocks and playing tapes. Uh, there was another lady who had the uh, same kind of psychic driving that I did, and she was a very wiry, slender lady, and with lots of pep and zip, you know, and she'd go to the dances and this and that. And one day she just wasn't there. And uh, when we asked where she went, they said, oh, well, you know, she's gone to another hospital. Well, sometime later, I was in the day hospital, and I happened to ask a nurse if she'd heard what had happened to this lady. And she said, oh, that's her sitting over there. And I looked, and there was a fat lady that just looked like she was made out of dough. She didn't know me. She didn't know herself. She didn't know anybody. She was gone. Now, that's a death. Did you ever try and get away from there? Did you ever say, I'm just not going back? I tried. Uh, I was home for the weekend. And uh, I had a pass for the weekend. That's how they call it. So when I was there, I said, I'm not going back there. So I telephoned or somebody else in the house telephoned. And they said, if you're not coming back, we're sending the police after you. So I remember being so upset. I was crying. I didn't want to go in. And uh, it was really like a concentration camp. There was a gentleman who jumped off the roof of the Allen. I don't think he had LSD, but he had uh, sleep therapy with, um, with psychic driving, you know, with the driving tapes under his pillow. And they told him he was going to go home. And he'd just come out of sleep therapy and... Uh, he just jumped, he said, went around, big smile on his face, said goodbye to everybody, went up on the roof and jumped off and landed at the back door of the Atlan, which was a dreadful, off thing. I don't think he was more than 30. And he was just gone, just gone. And there was this big washed area at the back door. Nobody would go in and out of that back door for a long time. So why am I showing you this? I want you guys to pay attention. I'm looking at your chats and it's important for you to see that this was done on people against their will, but did they have a will if it was broken and it would be repetitive messages making them feel trapped and claiming authority when they didn't have any. 
Now, that is how they tested it out on individuals to see what works best, what kind of drugs and at what dosage. Must it be constant? Do I need to give them LSD in one dose so they're all tripping off their heads? Or do I just, I don't know, put it on the side of their meal as a supplement or dilute it in their water or put it in their food or coffee? And do I need to shock them? Shocking them. Does that cause anything? No, but it provides trauma. Repetitive messages under their pillow or through music. I want you guys to see the foundations of a bigger and more elaborate rollout. Repetition. And everybody in the, in the hospital spoke in hushed tone. Everybody was affected. They would not talk about it. It was as though it did not. In 1973, all MK Ultra files under the control of the Technical Services Division Chief of the CIA were ordered destroyed by the director, Richard Helms. But in a bureaucracy as vast as the Central Intelligence Agency, it's difficult to destroy everything. And the damning evidence of the Cameron Project surfaced after a Freedom of Information Act suit. It revealed Mrs. Orlico had reason for her nightmares and her doubts. I've heard that it was the most brutal program under that under MK Ultra in the States and in Canada. That this was the most brutal. It was an awful feeling to realize when I found this out that the man whom I had thought cared about what happened to me didn't give a damn. I was a fly. Just a fly. Her husband, David Orlico. NDP Member of Parliament for 22 years, remembers the cost. We had Blue Cross coverage, but we didn't have, uh, but Blue Cross did not cover treatment in a mental hospital. So uh, what we did uh, after the first year was to sell the house, which was really the only money that we had. And my daughter and I moved in with, uh, with the house mother. And uh, we stayed there almost three years. It was, it was tough, but the financial cost was really a small part of the cost. If you're talking about cost, it really, it really disrupted our lives. Mrs. Orlico sued the Allen Memorial Institute, and last year it quietly settled out of court for $50,000. But that's only the amount she estimates she had to pay for what she thought was treatment. Apart from giving Mrs. Orlico her money back, the Allen has done nothing to compensate Cameron's other victims. But in the U.S., a former CIA director, Stansfield Turner, promised the Congress the agency would try and track down victims of the MK Ultra project in both Canada and the U.S. so they might get compensation. The CIA wrote the Allen this recently declassified letter. Addressed to Maurice Danger, then director, it said, it has been our understanding that there are no remaining records of Dr. Cameron's research that might reveal the identities of patients under his care during the time period in question. However, by way of leaving no stone unturned, we now inquire whether this information might be reconstituted through patient records, financial records, or other hospital records. Sincerely yours, Daniel B. Silver, General Counsel, CIA. So even the CIA made some effort to find the victims, but little help from Montreal. There is no record of the Allen ever attempting a search of all its medical records, although Cameron's successor admits it would be easy enough to do. 
CIA documents show that 53 people in Montreal were subjected to the MKUltra experiments, but only nine of those have been positively identified. Apart from Orlico, Huard, and Logie, there were three Montreal housewives, one of whom is now institutionalized. There's a Montreal businessman who never really got his life together again after the experiments, and another man who's been destitute for most of the time since. Ironically enough, one of the victims is now a psychiatrist practicing in eastern Ontario. She obviously functions well enough, but after the experiments, 10 years of her memory was wiped right out. The McGill Project was abruptly terminated in 1964, and so Dr. Cameron returned to the United States. Three years later, he died suddenly of a heart attack. Subsequent evaluation of Cameron's work in Montreal by his successor showed that the intensive shock therapy was not only medically useless, but potentially dangerous. Cameron, though, never revealed how much he knew about the CIA sponsorship of his work. Robert Logie was later given cortisone treatment for the pains in his leg that brought him to the Allen in the first place. It worked, but his mind is a different story. He now has joined with Mrs. Orlico, Madame Huard, and six other Canadians in a massive lawsuit against the United States government. They contend that they sought treatment and instead were made unwitting victims of CIA experiments. The nine Canadians are seeking $1 million apiece in damages from the U.S. government. The CIA intimidates many American law firms, but this case is being fought by a lawyer who defended Lillian Hellman and Arthur Miller during the McCarthy witch hunts for communists. In preparation, the lawyers have interrogated every CIA agent involved in MKUltra, including former director Helms. With the trial expected to start soon, Joseph Raw sums up the case with his junior partner, James Turner. What do we get out of getting here? Uh, John Gittinger is the former CIA staff agent who testified that at his request, the CIA contacted Cameron and informed him that a front in New York would support his work. As a result of that, Cameron received CIA funds to finance the LSD and brainwashing experiment. In other words, Cameron, all he did was what the CIA was in effect asking him to do yeah, he, and what he said he was going to do, and he did it. And, and then I paid him money for it. And then what about... Uh, Gottlieb, now, we got a lot of stuff out of Gottlieb. Here's one of his uh, depositions. We uh, got him. I take it. He said, I'm going to wash my hands of this. I am approve the project, but I don't have to take care of the Canadian citizens who are going to be affected. Is that fair? That's fair. He admitted that they took no steps whatsoever to guarantee that people wouldn't be injured if it could be avoided or to make sure that people even knew that they were participating in an experiment. Well, this guy Gottlieb's got quite a record, doesn't he, uh, on negligent action ahead of time, I mean, before this ever... Uh... Uh, he was personally involved in an experiment that resulted in the death of a uh, U.S. Army. Is that the one where they uh, put the uh, LSD in the Quantro of a guy named Olson? Yeah, and then he jumped out of a window and committed suicide in New York City. They yeah. managed to cover that up, too. I like a man who was general counsel of the CIA. His name's Larry Houston. And at that time, he said this was culpable negligence. He was a general counsel, and they went on, left a guy on the job who had uh, been guilty, according to their own lawyer, of uh, culpable negligence. What about Helms? We took his deposition, too. It's right here. 
Yeah, it's an awful thick deposition. He didn't remember a whole lot. There's a, a major case of forget me. It's the only uh, thing that he, we really got out of him was that uh, he instructed uh, Gottlieb, uh, the CIA's Dr. Gottlieb, to destroy the records. When the story broke about the covert CIA activities on Canadian soil, the United States sent a formal apology to the Trudeau government. But external affairs minister Alan McKechn has refused to release that document to Mrs. Orlico and the others in the lawsuit. This declassified State Department letter shows why. Addressed to the Canadian Embassy, it reads, This is with reference to your request for the views of the U.S. intelligence community concerning possible release by the Canadian government of certain documents relating to the Orlico matter. Your request was given careful review on the basis of which it has been requested that the Canadian government withhold from public disclosure the documents in question. We've moved heaven and earth to get the correspondence and the documents and the discussions between the Canadian government and the United States. The United States won't give it to us because they're covering up uh, their wrong. The Canadian government won't give it to us because they're scared of the United States government. Both of them are holding back all of the information about this. I think the case could be broken if the Canadian government would say to the CIA, we're not going to cover up for you any longer. We're going to allow, this, we're going to give this material to Mr. Orlico for his case. Well, if the Canadian government has this apology from the U.S., why in the world do you think they wouldn't release it? Oh, I just think uh, the Canadian government's a little bit... Uh, uh, like international wimps uh, in the case of uh, the United States. I don't know why they're so scared of us. We're not going to do anything. I don't think the 7th Army is going to attack Montreal because you give us that material. I understand, though, that the, that the American position is that this kind of CIA material can't be released for national security reasons. Maybe that's true. Well, security, my neck. First, the CIA, the, the, everything they forget. Then when they have to stop forgetting because uh, it's ludicrous, then they say it's all national security. What is national security about the apologies of the United States to Canada? They get very belligerent, the Canadians, with the Russians when they shoot down the uh, 007 with some Canadian citizens. But when the CIA covertly does something to all the citizens, ruins the lives of many of these citizens, well, the Canadian government is doing nothing. I don't know why. Canada made forceful representations on behalf of the Toronto businessman who was kidnapped by bounty hunters taken back to Florida. That wouldn't indicate that they're afraid to make a ruckus down here. That was a pretty easy situation. I mean, my God, you kidnap a Canadian and take him to the United States, heavens above. Uh, and furthermore, you, who do you have to fight there? A couple of bounty hunters. Here you're fighting the CIA. That scares the, the Canada. I'm surprised that... If your case is as strong as you say that the American government isn't trying to get an out-of-court settlement, pay out a bunch of money and just hope it'll go away. When the CIA went into this brainwashing stuff, what they call the MK Ultra program, when they went into that, they injured lots more people than the nine we are suing for. They injured a great many other people. Here in, here in the United States? Here in the United States. They may feel that they've got so many skeletons in their closet that settling with us, even though we're clearly right and they would like it to go away, would hurt them 
as a precedent. I can't think of any other reason that they're being so really rough on us. I think there is a duty on the government to uh, to uh, release, in a matter such as this, all of the information it has. Alan Lawrence is the conservative justice critic in the Commons. There's been government complicity or government negligence, so be it. You know, uh, uh, it, it's far better to make a full disclosure and, and, a, and a full confession of your sins in a matter such as this. It's always a difficult thing for anybody to sue a government or sue a, an agency of a government. And if you don't have the cooperation of your own government in doing it, uh, you have uh, a few strikes against you right off the bat. If the process was reversed, if it was some sort of a, uh, a secretive uh, Canadian operation taking place in the United States, I'm sure all hell would break loose uh, down there as far as beating of breasts and waving of flags and whatnot. If the material came from the States, perhaps they're bound by, if not law, good manners to not turn it over if the source of the information doesn't want it turned over. I uh, don't know about manners. Uh, I don't know about international manners very much. But I know this. If I were in charge of a government to whom nine citizens that we are suing for have been brainwashed without their knowing, have had their lives impaired, and have it done by a foreign agency, undercover without the government of Canada knowing it, I would find a way to help those people instead of hindering them. We tried to ask External Affairs Minister McKechn why the government of Canada is not helping these Canadian citizens who are victimized by agents of another country. But for more than two months, Mr. McKechn has been unavailable to discuss the matter. What do you want to tell Mr. McKechn, for example, about what happened to you? How you feel about it now? I would tell him to try what would have been true and see what he would have to say after. Because uh, only when you go through such an experience, one can say how bad it can be and uh, how painful. I'd say, come on, get off your horse and help us. We need some help from our government. We are innocent victims of something that happened that should never have been. And you can't make it. You can't put us back where we were. But at least do something to help us now. Do something to stand up and say this can't happen in Canada. What can you possibly get for your clients out of this case? You can't get their health back. That's not possible. And there are older people and some of them may die during this uh, stonewalling by the CIA. And some of them may get worse. One of them at least is in an institution now. I mean, the thing is very much needed, needing of speed by the, uh, to get recommend. You can get some money. That's all you can get. That's all you can get when a doctor misoperates on you. you. You don't get your health back. There's no way we can get our health, their health back. But what we can get them is some funds to help ameliorate their old age uh, with the damage that's been done to them by this lousy uh, performance that occurred through the CIA by Dr. Cameron mistreating them and hurting them. One thing which triggered Mrs. Huard's initial depression was growing deafness in one ear. That was later corrected with minor surgery, but no surgery can undo Dr. Cameron's work at Ravenscraig. I cannot go to sleep without any medication. 
I have uh, migraine headaches that last for a week at the time. Doctors cannot find a cause. Uh, I have uh, slight amnesia. I have a lot of trouble to concentrate. I've never been able to sleep without medication since the sleep treatment. I went through years and years and years of severe depressions. I dream about it. I, all, my, all my waking hours to think about it. It's, uh, I, it's eating me up. I've been hospitalized. When I first went home to Winnipeg, I attempted to take my own life because I couldn't endure the way I felt. And uh, I have a, a chronic need. I'm very dependent on other people. And I have a chronic depression, which at times gets worse. Not being with my family, not being able to follow a career, not being able to study anymore, which I wanted to do very much. Um, I would say it cost me my life. Wow. So that's interesting. Our government went to other countries and conducted the experiments. So I want you to think how many of those or types of experiments like that occurred in our nation, not specifically mind wiping, but what was it called? Subproject. So Canada was subproject 68. So that means there's a one through 67 prior to that one through 99. And then it's like subproject of the subprojects as well. And is are things really, really deleted from CIA databases? Well, we have something called state secrets or people that make duplicate hard drives nowadays. I hope listening to those people who went and sought help and were convinced that this was to help them, but it was actually an experiment. Helps you see or peek into the horrors that you may learn about. You think you know. There are things you know. There are things you don't know. There are things that you think you know. And there are things that you don't know you don't know. Sometimes that's better. Sometimes it's better you don't know what you don't know. Because then all you do is feel overwhelmed. As if all the chips are stacked against, oh my Lord, I, today, I was out and about, I had a couple of meetings, and I don't remember where I was, I was in public somewhere, and I actually had a conversation with myself, no, 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 I, I should say this, no, 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 this person, you know, was like, 
Excuse me, miss. Are you talking to yourself? I'm like, yeah, need an expert opinion. Okay. I realized, first of all, I said it to be funny, but it was true. Literally talking to myself for an expert opinion. Why? Because there are things that people don't know or they think they know. And it's so difficult to lay it out when you can't tell, you know, because it's, it's normal for people to be like, just say it, just tell me. And it's like, really? Can you visualize what these people went through? 23 days of sedation with tapes playing again and again and again in their head. Literally hiding from their doctor. So they don't take medicine trapped in an asylum that they were paying for. Why? Because they lost a little bit of hearing or their legs hurt. These are real things that don't make sense to the average person. But it's really important for people to understand that when you say, I want to know, no, you don't. There are a lot of things I wish I didn't know. Oh, boy. A lot of things I wish I didn't know. So let's take a quick break, grab that cigarette in, and um, a three-minute break with some music. We'll be right back. Let that portion of that, you know, let you digest that for a couple weeks before you see what that's priming you for. All right, I'm back. So that was a quick break, quick smoke break. I actually set an alarm and ran out to go have it. So today we're going to talk a little bit about some political stuff. Though I have to say, I'm actually quite impressed. Oh, no sound. There is sound. What are we talking about? Um, <laughs> I have to, there's my timer. Um, I have to say that the climate is getting a little bit stiffy. See, there's a lot of people that underestimate actual people that uh, understand intelligence like nobody's business. There's a lot of people that want to be experts or think they know what they are talking about. And see, here's that's the problem. Because for one, for one thing, there are many types of people people that um, that kiss and tell, those that, you know, show pictures. I remember, like, who was it in the Matrix, right? He was telling me how he's such a patriot, and he was sending me pictures of himself with General Flynn, and I was just like, okay. Sending me pictures with Patrick Byrne. Like, see, he knows me, and I'm awesome. And I'm like, Nobody knows who I hang out with unless I want them to. And nobody knows. You know, by the time people figure out who the hell I am and what role I have in anything, they'll be too busy eating crows. Oh, I didn't know. You know, you get those responses. Oh, how was I supposed to know? Well, that's the point. See, you're not supposed to know who anybody is. I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are, what role you play, or what you do. But what I can tell you is if you don't definitely know something, you should sit quiet and listen to all sides. This is what smart people do. They uh, kind of just take a look. Mm. Really want to talk and they can't. 
right now, our nation has the media um, pretending that they're on our side and then pretending that they're not on our side and naturally not being on our side and um, pushing whatever narrative they want. Yet in between, if you read and listen to all outlets, not, oh, I don't listen to that channel because they tell you the truth in little bits. You take it from that, that, and that, and that, and the truth comes out. I have said that the intelligence, intelligence in general, is not about finding out who the spy is or who is doing what is how they're doing it. And see the people, unfortunately, the people of the United States really think that important people have a sash or a crown or something. And they think they know that they know better. I've said this before that in 2022, in the year of 2022, we will start to destroy the damn political arms, the DNC and the GOP. Now, when do we actually start to push this? Well, when the time is right. You're not going to fight something when you don't have anything to replace it with. And many of you will say, well, we have a lot of patriots. No, you don't. You have a lot of people that think they're patriots. You have a lot of people that think they know what they're talking about. We have people that are saying that they're going to reform parties. You can't reform something that was never there for you. It's a facade. Every single one of them is a fucking facade. It's a freaking show. And if you can't see it, you know, that's that's uh, your problem. I have put myself out there knowing full well just how much I would get hit. And that's because I do have faith in humanity. I have one, two, I have filed one, two. Well, there was that one, but it didn't really count. So three times and failed. Did I stop? Fuck no, because it's going to happen one way or another. And every single time I get another piece of the puzzle. And every single time I come back, it's like boxers, man. They get hit once. They don't fall down and say, oh, fuck it. I got a punch. They get hit twice. They don't sit on their ass. They even get almost knocked out. You don't sit on your ass and say, well, oh, well. You get up. You regroup. And you learn. And you come back. And you come again. And then you come again. And then you come again. And you know what? That is why the United States became the United States or the idea of the United States. But there's a lot of people that have lost the plot. They have gone to extremism, right? Because extremism gives you a villain so you can target that. So that could be black people, white people, Jews, you know, they're the problem. It's not you. It's not the methods. It's not the whole collective. It's them. See, that's how Hitler won his people over, right? And then uh, they either obeyed his orders or they committed suicide. That's the way it is. Then there's other people that give up real quick. Well, you know, there's no point. It's overwhelming. Let me tell you what's overwhelming, okay? Let me tell you what's overwhelming. I'm sitting with peace of mind while I have other shit to do. I have thousands of messages of people that need me to reach out. And I'm like, 
So how do I do this? How do I do all of this myself? Because obviously everyone thinks they're smarter and they have better knowledge to do things. It's usually the one that doubts themselves and treads lightly and says, I'm going to try my best that does well. Not the people that decide that they know best, right? I never say I know best. I try everything I can with the knowledge that I have. And it's pretty big because you can't catch me off my feet. You have me debate anyone on any topic. I got something to say without the use of a computer, of course. So again, how do we fix this and where are we at? Well, let's, um, let's see how long this has been going on because people are really smart and they think they know best. And then they go for threats too. Be very careful. HSBC, the banking giant, has escaped indictment, indictment for laundering billions of dollars from Mexican cartels and groups linked to Al Qaeda. The bank reportedly supplied a billion dollars to a firm whose founder had ties to Al Qaeda and shipped billions in cash from Mexico to the United States. Despite warnings, the money was coming from drug cartels. Earlier this year, in a Senate investigation, concluded that HSBC provided a, quote, gateway for terrorists to gain access to U.S. dollars and the U.S. financial system. Despite evidence of wrongdoing, the Justice Department has allowed the bank to avoid prosecution and pay a $1.9 billion fine. No top HSBC officials will face charges. While it's reportedly the largest penalty ever paid by a bank, the deal has come under wide criticism. Officials reportedly agreed to seek the fine over concerns that criminal charges would have hurt the global financial system. Loretta Lynch is U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of New York. We are here today to announce the filing of criminal charges against HSBC Bank, both its U.S. entity, HSBC U.S., and the parent HSBC Group for its sustained and systemic failure to guard against the corruption of our financial system by drug traffickers and other criminals and for evading U.S. sanctions law. HSBC, as you know, is one of the largest financial institutions in the world with affiliates and personnel spanning the globe. Yet during the relevant time periods, they failed to comply with the legal requirements incumbent on all U.S. financial institutions to have in place compliance mechanisms and safeguards to guard against being used for money laundering. HSBC has admitted its guilt to the four-count information filed today, which sets forth two violations of the Bank Secrecy Act, a violation of the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, or IEPA, and a violation of the Trading with the Enemy Act. As part of its resolution of these charges, HSBC has agreed to forfeit $1.256 billion, the largest forfeiture amount ever by a financial institution for a compliance failure. That was U.S. Attorney Loretta Lynch. Meanwhile, HSBC Group Chief Executive Stuart Gulliver said in a statement, quote, we accept responsibility for our past mistakes. We've said we're profoundly sorry for them. He added the bank had, quote, taken extensive and concerted steps to put in place the highest standards for the future.
News of HSBC's fine comes as three low-level traders were arrested in London as part of an international investigation into 16 international banks accused of rigging a key global interest rate used in contracts worth trillions of dollars. The London Interbank offered rate, known as LIBOR, as the average interest rate at which banks can borrow from each other. Some analysts say it defines the cost of money. The benchmark rate sets the borrowing costs of everything from mortgages to student loans to credit card accounts. Well, for more on the latest bank scandals. We're joined by Matt Taibbi, contributing editor for Rolling Stone magazine. His latest book is Griftopia, a story of bankers, politicians, and the most audacious power grab in American history. Now, how did Forbes put it, um, Matt? What's a bank got to do to get into some real exactly. trouble around here? Exactly. And what's amazing about that is that's Forbes <laughs> saying that. I mean, uh, uh, universally, the reaction, even in among the financial press, which, which is normally very bank friendly and gives all these guys the benefit of the doubt. The reaction is, is what do you have to do to get a criminal indictment? Uh, what HSBC has now admitted to uh, is more or less the worst behavior that a bank could possibly be guilty of. Uh, they, you know, they violated the Trading with the Enemy Act, the Bank Secrecy Act. Uh, and we're talking about a massive amounts of money. It was $9 billion that they failed to super, supervise properly. Um, this, these crimes were so obvious that apparently the cartels in Mexico specifically designed uh, boxes to put cash in so that they would fit through the windows of HSBC teller windows. Um, so it, it was so out in the open, these crimes, and there's going to be no criminal prosecution whatsoever, uh, which is incredible. And uh, emails found where bank officials were uh, in Bank officials. Do you guys remember who was sitting on the board at the time? Yeah, it was James Comey, the director of the FBI. He was on the board of directors when all of this was going down. I have tons of articles written on ToriSays.com explaining to you how this was done. BCCI, Amalgamated Bank, now we've got Truist too. Well, that's up and coming, hasn't happened yet. You'll see who really gets the bailouts now and who doesn't. Now, the question that everyone should be saying is, well, wait a minute. You mean all of this was proven? And how did the HSBC executives avoid jail? I mean, their board member became director of the FBI and led the Russia hoax against the president of the United States and allowed the wiretapping and facilitated on the hack of the DNC and signed off on murders, rape, coercion, and locking people up in black sites. But for whatever reason, they all get away with it. Oh, Tori, that's like way too much. They all get away with it. Well, what are you waiting for? A white horse and a knight in shining armor to come in and do it? Or should you get your guns and go places? No, you should all stand together and make sure there's accountability. Accountability stands on the shoulders of man and the people, not the elected officials. The elected officials answer to us. See if, um, say, people in the city of, I don't know, St. Louis were really pissed off that George Soros was putting money there. And they all got together and went down to the city council and said, you're all fucking fired and we're not moving from here until you get out. You know, then that would be a protest and then they'd have to bring guns. And then there'd be one that loose cannon that would think, well, we should just storm the place and then it's all over. 
or they could all get together and file the shit out of lawsuits and get signatures and remove them and actually get shit done and run their neighbors and, 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 and not try to fix the broken system. It's getting together and actually doing something of action. People will get killed because there's people that are smarter and know best. The ones that are going to lead them astray, tons of J6s will be happening. Why? Because people are fed up. Why? Because we have stupid, stupid influencers who are just adding fuel to the fire rather than showing how to quest. Instructing uh, officials in Iran and in some other countries of how best to uh, hide uh, their their efforts to move money into their system. Exactly. Yeah, and that's that's true at HSBC, and and apparently we have a, a very similar scandal involving another British bank, Standard Chartered, which uh, also paid an, uh, an enormous fine recently uh, for uh, laundering money for uh, through Iran. Um, this again comes in the heels of the. Uh, the LIBOR scandal, which has already caught up two major British banks, uh, the Royal Bank of Scotland uh, and Barclays. So you have essentially all of the major British banks now are inveigled in these enormous scandals. Um, we have a couple of arrests you know, today involving low-level people in the LIBOR thing, but it doesn't look like any major players are going to be indicted criminally for any of this. And this whole argument that the uh, the bank is too big to indict because of the threat to the world financial system. Most people don't know that HSBC stands for Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation. It's a British bank that goes back to the early days of British colonialism uh, sure. in Asia. Uh, and uh, is it too big for uh, to uh, to be indicted? The amazing thing about that rationale is that it's exactly the opposite of the truth. Uh, what the message that this sends to everybody uh, when when banks commit crimes and nobody is punished for it is is that uh, you can do it again. Uh, that, you know, if there's no criminal penalty uh, for committing uh, even the most obvious kinds of, of crimes um, that tells everybody, investors all over the world, that the banking system is inherently unsafe. Uh, and so the message is this is not a move to preserve the banking system at all. In fact, it's incredibly destructive. It undermines the, the, the entire um, a conf- world confidence in the banking system. It's an incredible decision that, again, is, is met with surprise even with pe- by people in the, in the financial community. On Tuesday, Thomas Curry, head of the Office of the Controller of the Currency, the lead regulator for HSBC, HSBC in the U.S. defended the settlement. These actions sent a strong message to the bank and the financial services industry to make compliance with the law a priority to safeguard their institutions from being misused in ways that threaten American lives. That's Thomas Curry, head of the Office of the Controller of the Currency. It seems like a lot of people who are in prison right now, low-level thieves, criminals, uh, drug launderers, uh, people who've been accused of working with al-Qaeda, um, perhaps could appeal their convictions now and right. get out of jail. Right. Yeah, exactly. I was in court yesterday in, in, in criminal court in Brooklyn. I saw somebody who come out of uh, come into court who had just been a, overnight in jail for walking from one subway car to another uh, in front of a police uh, policeman. Um, you can you can do real time in jail in America for all kinds of ridiculous offenses for taking up two subway seats in, in New York City. If you're if you fall, fall asleep in the subway, people go to jail for that all the time in this country uh, for having a marijuana stem in your pocket. There 
are 50,000 marijuana possession cases in New York City alone every year. Uh, and here we have a bank that laundered $800 million of drug money, and they can't find a way to put anybody in jail for that. That sends an incredible message, not just to the financial sector, but to everybody. Uh, it's, it's an obvious, clear double standard where one set of people gets to break the rules as much as they want, and another set of people can't, can't break any rules at all without going to jail. And I, I just don't see how they don't see this problem. Well, uh, Matt, Assistant Attorney General Lanny Brewer outlined some of HSBC's alleged drug cartel ties. From 2006 to 2010, the Sinaloa cartel in Mexico, the Norte del Val cartel in Colombia, and other drug traffickers laundered at least $881 million in illegal narcotics trafficking proceeds to HSBC Bank USA. These traffickers didn't have to try very hard. They would sometimes deposit hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash in a single day into a single account using boxes, as Loretta said, designed to fit the precise dimensions of the teller's windows in HSBC's Mexico branches. Oh, Matt, this is like uh, Monopoly, the board game all over again, you know, uh, get out of jail free. You know, yeah. instead of $50, you're paying $1.9 billion, but you're still getting out of jail free. And, and this fits in the in, in with the pattern of the entire financial crisis. $1.9 billion sounds like a lot of money, and it definitely is. It's a record settlement. No bank has ever paid this much money before. But it's about two two months worth of profits for for, uh, for HSBC. It's not going to cripple this bank. It's not even going to hurt them that, that badly for this year. Um, it, it fits in line with the, the Goldman Sachs settlement and the Abacus case, which was hailed at the time as, as a record settlement. It was $575 million, but that was about one twentieth of what they got just through the AIG bailout. Uh, so this is not a lot of money for these people. It sounds like a lot of money to the, to the layperson, but for the for the crimes they committed, getting away with just money, and it's not even their own money. It's not their personal money. It's the shareholders' money. Uh, it, it's incredible. It's it's it really it literally is a get out of jail free card. And of course, the way that so get out of jail free card. All of them have it. Let me turn him off. All of them have that. Every politician has it. So it, today I actually went down the rabbit hole for something that we've discussed before. I talked about um, vaccines and, you know, the anthrax vaccine and, you know, that whole hot mess, right? Well, I had a conversation with someone and it turns out the people, and I looked into this and, and then I was like, okay, I got to stop because I have other things to do. Right. I, I couldn't, I don't have the bandwidth, but it turns out Scalise who talked about the vaccine and was like, Oh, I'm for the people and all this. Right. Actually had a fundraiser by people that actually created the vaccine. They funded the shit out of them. Double speak like nobody's business. How do you hold them accountable? Right. And, uh, you know, I'm in such a mood. And you know what? It's because of the conversations I had before my show. And not so much it was the context. It was the, the delay in the response, right, because of shit that happens, right? But also is to the 
the question that one had was, well, why does it have to go that way? Maybe we're missing something. And I'm like, don't you get it? It's the most unorthodox way that gets the job done. When you hit them head on, like this HSBC thing, where you have all these people, you caught them red fucking handed, right? Nobody got in trouble. Pfizer filed for bankruptcy. Everyone's like, oh, look at that. We were right. It's like, fuck you. There's Pfizer 1, Pfizer 2, Pfizer 3, Pfizer 4, Pfizer. They just bankrupt one of those. They're still in business. They still have money, right? When you fight them head on, you fail. Our elections are stolen. You fight them head on, you fail. Our this is stolen. You fight them head on, you fail. You never go for the head. You go for the peripheries. And you always have to come in sideways. You can't come head on. You come on head on. Oh, they have a bigger head. They have a bigger mouth. They control people's minds with the media, the music, perception. I mean, you see it even within the conservative movement. The lefties don't fight like this. They don't have some loser named Rose saying shit like they know things. It's until people get sued that they shut up. Or when the police knock on their door and tell them you better fucking knock that shit off. This is a crime that stop that stop that stops these things. But why does it have to be that way? Why does everyone have to be a baby? And the and the question is, why are the people still investing energy in shit that does nothing for them? That's the question. That's the question. But you know, Mr. Russell had something amazing to say before he passed. And I want to share that message with you. I want you to listen to it carefully as well. One last question. Suppose Lord Russell, this film would one last question. Suppose, Lord Russell, this film were to be looked at by our descendants, like a Dead Sea Scroll in a thousand years' time. What would you think it's worth telling that generation about the life you've lived and the lessons you've learned from it? I should like to say two things, one intellectual and one moral. The intellectual thing I should want to say to them is this. When you are studying any matter or considering any philosophy, Ask yourself only, what are the facts and what is the truth that the facts bear out? Never let yourself be diverted, either by what you wish to believe or by what you think would have beneficent social effects if it were believed. But look only and solely at what are the facts. That is the intellectual thing that I should wish to say. The moral thing I should wish to say to them is very simple. I should say, love is wise, hatred is foolish. In this world, which is getting more and more closely interconnected, we have to learn to tolerate each other. We have to learn to put up with the fact that some people say things that we don't like. We can only live together in that way and if we are to live together and not die together we must learn a kind of charity and a kind of tolerance which is absolutely vital to the continuation of human life on this planet and this is coming from a really bad dude right Bertrand Russell right really bad dude right but the guy is right facts are facts Love is better than hate. But what we see is hate and, and vicious attacks. Let me tell you, that is. 
Let me tell you about that. All this catty ass bullshit that serves nobody. You need to cut them off. No one else can cut it off. Oh, yeah, I just watch it for the fun. You put that hate, you put that energy inside of you where people think they're smarter. Oh, we need to see results. Well, the thing is, you've got to wait for that kill shot. You have to wait until Goliath is down. Then people will stand. But unfortunately, it's a David that's fighting Goliath. It's not bugging another Goliath. It's not a transformer. It's not freaking Godzilla. Okay. It's a freaking David that's fighting. And poor little David and lots of Davids that are fighting Goliaths right now. There they are with their little stones and they're getting attacked by people because David's not doing it fast enough. Just think about it. That shit's really happening right now. It's really happening right now. David is being attacked by people who are being terrorized by Goliath because it's not done the way they want it. Let me tell you something, something that Mr. Russell said on that clip before he died. We'll either die together or be alive together. Where we go one, we go all. So what we're seeing aside from the factions, and I'm getting really frustrated seeing this, Right. What I'm seeing is that everyone is kidding into. I know best. You just need to look at my shit because I'm verified and I got all this shit and I'm going to show you. Everybody knows that shit's existing. So what are you going to? Oh, yeah. We're just going to find my key tam. And it's like, right. Yeah. Right. Your key tam is going to do it because the fucking HSBC got caught red handed. And then the board of director got promoted to fucking FBI. But you're going to get it done. Get the fuck out of here. Oh, well, I'm going to do this and you watch. I'm going to expose. Everybody already knows. Next. Next. Well, I'm going to expose this and I'm going to do that. Next. Next. Oh, but, you know, Durham's a myth. No, he's thorough. And he does things so that he can loosen the soil from the roots to pull the fucking weed out. That doesn't happen quickly. See, you're a bad gardener if you think you could just yank it. Well, in the meantime, everyone else is busy infighting and they're all distracted, waiting for some savior to come down. Then you have your Bible thumpers that are telling you that the rapture is here. Then you have people that are telling you this is the Antichrist. That's the Antichrist. Well, let's convert to Muslim, right? That's another one. Do we have war in Ukraine? Don't we have war in Ukraine? Here's Putin. There's Putin. Trump is not... You know what? Let me show you about President Trump, because there's a lot of people talking shit. And there is a method to his madness, even though I got really pissed off because one of them is pushing. He could have done without it. I know why he did it and why he said it. I did tell you Ohio is important. And you know why it's going to be important? Because in Ohio, you're going to see the first racist. Yes, you heard me right. Racist, racistly motivated attacks from people that claim to be conservatives. Watch. And I'm warning you now. Because I've already seen it happen. As of tomorrow, I will be married for 19 years. Boom. Haters said I couldn't do it. I didn't know. Ohio just proved it again. The Republican Party is Donald Trump's party. Make no mistake, Trump's endorsement of J.D. Vance in the Ohio Republican U.S. Senate primary was the reason the author and first-time candidate wound up winning the nomination. As he has done many times before, Ron DeSantis, I'm looking at you, 
Trump reached down into the middle of a Republican pack, plucked someone out, and drove them to victory. They wanted to write a story that this campaign would be the death of Donald Trump's America First agenda. Ladies and gentlemen, it ain't the death of the America First agenda. What's new about Vance's endorsement and win is that they didn't come with Trump as president at the zenith of his political power and influence. He isn't president these days, after all, breaking news. What Trump is, is the first incumbent president since George H.W. Bush to lose his bid for a second White House term. And after his party had, in quick succession, lost its majority in the, in the House 2018 and the Senate in 2020, due in large part to Trump's unpopularity in the country at large. All of which brings me to a line from a speech Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, a potential 2024 Republican presidential candidate in his own right, recently made at the Ronald Reagan Library out there in California. A party that lost the popular vote in seven out of the last eight presidential elections and that couldn't even beat Joe Biden is desperately in need of a course correction. Now, any, and I mean any, objective analysis of the state of the Republican Party in the wake of Trump's presidency leaves you with this. The party needs change and fast. And yet Trump remains and not just remains, but prospers in spite of the fact that he both oversaw and bears responsibility for the fact that Republicans are shut out of power on both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue currently. And let's not forget Donald Trump also helped to encourage and inspire the violent riot on January 6th that led to the invasion of the U.S. Capitol in hopes of stopping the counting of the Electoral College votes. This is a man that... Sorry, guys, I wanted to stop it for a second. So see, here's 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 the thing that I'm seeing. There's a lot of conservatives that think that, that, that they need to fix the GOP. We need to fix the Republican Party. That's right. That's what CNN is telling you to do. That's what the deep state is telling you to do. Can you see what side you're really sitting on? You need to do a makeover of the GOP because of Trump or because of the rhinos. Yeah, you should totally fix that. Go ahead, girl. Fix it. Because that's how you fix it. By all the usual political measures should be viewed with scorn by his party. Go back to George H.W. Bush, who I mentioned earlier, and think about him in 1993. No one, and I mean no one within the Republican Party, was taking marching orders from George H.W. Bush, nor was he seen as the de facto nominee for the party against Bill Clinton in 1996. Far from it. He was, in fact, seen as a failed president and not someone that Republicans wanted to be too closely associated with. Sidebar. Bush's presidency has been viewed better in the light of history. He's generally seen and rated as a middle-of-the-pack president. So why has Trump managed to retain his stranglehold on the Republican Party despite an electoral record that suggests mostly, well, failure? The most obvious answer here is that Trump has never conceded that he actually lost the 2020 election. Instead, he spent the past 18 months insisting. So the question is, how does President Trump maintain control of the GOP party, hence why he endorsed all the little rhinos and got himself a straight record? Because it's not the GOP anymore. It's owned by Trump. And the rhinos know it. So the rhinos have infiltrated the GOPs across America. Told them, yeah, you're right. We should totally change the party and fix it from within. We need to stick with the GOP. We got to align with Trump. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell everyone we're doing it, and we're going to slate in new rhinos. Shh, 
big secret because we need to keep it alive. Don't you get it? He's showing you exactly what needs to have destruction. We need no parties, no fucking parties, none. If you're trying to fix something that's evil to begin with, you fail. This is exactly what he's doing. He's showing them you have no control. The people are in control. And if he was to switch right now and go to the DNC, we would all vote blue. Why? Because we go to where the people we want to elect go. If he became a new party called the Sticky Note Party, we would totally vote Sticky Note. See, that's the point. The parties are dead. Anyone trying to resuscitate something that's dead is following the orders of the cabal. That's the plan. Let's get to re in let's revamp and reform the GOP. We can't be doing independent shit and following wherever Trump goes. We can't have federalist parties and shit. We need to fix the GOP. We can't. We need structure. We need order. We need to be good little soldiers and not veer away from what we're being told. This thing, despite all evidence to the contrary that there was widespread election fraud that cost him a victory. The simple fact is the presidential election was rigged and stolen. Because Trump has never acknowledged defeat, he, and let's be honest, many of the people who support him, still act as though he is the president. And some even believe he may be reinstated at some point in the future. See, if you never admit you've lost, it's a whole heck of a lot easier to be seen as a winner even when all the available facts point to you being, well, a loser. Larry Hogan's plea to change course then is very likely to fall on deaf ears in the Republican Party. Nothing yet has convinced the Trump base that their guy lost and that changes are needed in the party. And it's hard to see Larry Hogan as the messenger who finally gets through to them. Plus, Larry Hogan. No, Larry Hogan is just the start. You're going to have people locally in your community that are going to tell you, well, this isn't working. We need to reform the party. We don't need to be doing this. We need to go all in. I know a lot of you have been texting me out on the West Coast, texting me. Then you have your Democrats that are like, we need to reform the DNC. And they walk over to the Republicans and they're like, what do we do? And the Republicans are like, dude, we're in the same fucking boat. We can't fix this shit. And then that's where the Democrats and the Republicans go. All right, dude, then what do we do? See, that's how it works. We walk away from things that don't fix us. We walk away from things that don't suit us. We do not try to resuscitate something that was never in place to help us. Anyone telling you any different is lying to you. And they're working against the people. Or they're setting you up for some event. You think J6 was something? That was nothing. Wait till you see the white supremacist, anti-Jewish anti this attacks. We're talking with murder. This is how they round us up because people are too fucking stupid to be patient and work together. You watch. I'm warning it now. It's not going to happen right now. You know, that baby's coming out. It's been cooking for a while in that oven. And you know, while you think it's all about SCOTUS, well, let me, let me, let me, let me show you what SCOTUS gate really is. All their statements should be looked at very, very, very carefully. And I think they misled the Senate with the intention of getting their confirmation vote with the intention of overruling Roe. And so I'm very concerned that these justices have crossed a line that no one believed would be crossed. 
Senator Kirsten Gillibrand there saying several Supreme Court justices misled the Senate about their stances on Roe versus Wade after saying this at their confirmation hearings. Is Roe a super precedent? How would you define super precedent? And I'm answering a lot of questions about Roe, which I think indicates that Roe doesn't fall in that category. And scholars across the spectrum say that doesn't mean that Roe should be overruled. But descriptively, it does mean that it's not a case that everyone has accepted and doesn't call for its overruling. As a judge, it is an important precedent of the Supreme Court. By it, I mean Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Been reaffirmed many times. Casey is precedent on precedent, which itself is an important factor. A fetus is not a person for purposes of the 14th Amendment. And the book explains that. Do you accept that? That's the law of the land. I accept the law of the land, Senator. Yes. There needs to be a a special justification for overruling a prior precedent. Joining us now, CNN chief legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin and CNN legal analyst Jennifer Rogers. Jennifer, I want to start with you here. I, I guess I'm a little confused about this debate or discussion. Is Senator Gillibrand, do you think, truly surprised that these Supreme Court justices want to overturn perhaps Roe versus Wade? Well, John, it's hard to imagine she's surprised since she's been sitting watching these confirmation hearings for years where they all prevaricate about what they think about precedent and what they'll do with it. I mean, that's really the issue here. What are you going to do with this precedent other than consider it seriously as the justices to be claim? So I don't think she's really asking for anything like an investigation into perjury or anything like that, which wouldn't go anywhere anyway. I think she's really just complaining about the fact that these justices did try to mislead people in the sense that, you know, the the opinion says that Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. And that suggests that these justices knew what they thought about Roe, which isn't surprising given how well known and high profile it is. And that at the time that they said they would seriously consider it as precedent and not overturn it easily, that that wasn't true. So I think she feels misled about that. And she's right to that extent. Well, and, and it's also important to remember the political context here is that Roe v. Wade and abortion rights is popular. And the swing votes in the Senate, for especially Susan Collins, are at least publicly uh, pro-choice. So they needed her vote. I mean, that's really what went on here is that Brett Kavanaugh in particular needed Susan Collins' vote. So he had to appeal to her. And if you listen to all those quotes, It was Kavanaugh who was the most emphatically defending the Roe v. Wade precedent in order to get Susan Collins' vote, which he did. Now, I think most of us who were following the Kavanaugh nomination knew that it was all a lie, that Kavanaugh was being put on the court to overturn Roe v. Wade because that's what President Trump said he was doing. But somehow Susan Collins was convinced by this charade and voted to uh, uh, um, to confirm him, and now we see, apparently, what the result is. I mean, Jennifer, I don't know exactly what was said behind closed doors between now Justice Kavanaugh and, and Senator Susan Collins, but his testimony right there, he did not say, I will never vote to overturn Roe versus Wade. He just said that precedent is important, and precedent upon precedent is even more important. Right, which means absolutely nothing. Right. I mean, the precedent of the Supreme Court is the precedent of the Supreme Court until the Supreme Court decides it's not. And then there's a new precedent. So, you know, they said nothing that you can point to that's actually technically a lie or perjury or anything like that. 
what they really did is say a whole lot of nothing, which is what you have to do to get through these hearings. Berman, I don't know if you know this, but all of the nominees are lawyers <laughs> and lawyers know how to use words in careful ways so that they're not exactly lying. And the the you know, all the words that were quoted there, no one said as, that, you know, I will vote to reaffirm Roe v. Wade. But they certainly left that implication. But that's all they did. So there wasn't an explicit lie. It was lawyer talk. I I just think it it may be a situation where there may be senators or in this case, one senator who allowed themselves to believe something. And and is that on the people testifying? Because, you know, since it wasn't Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mean, we haven't had there haven't been, you know, out and out yes or no answers for for confirmations in a long time. You're never going to get that because they all say, even when pressed on what will you do in this particular area, they all say, well, I have to keep an open mind. I can't prejudge anything. It will depend on the facts of the case before me. So you're just never going to get that kind of certainty. You know, I don't know what they expect from this process, but you're never going to get that yes or no answer with a candidate from either side. It really goes back to 1987 and Robert Bork, because Robert Bork, when he was nominated, really did engage with the senators about the substance of law and talked about his opposition to abortion rights in much more explicit terms than than any subsequent nominee. And they have all taken the lesson to not answer questions after that in any sort of direct way. And so senators now hear what they want to hear and they answer the political call that they feel they have to. Susan Collins answered the political call of Mitch McConnell the Republican leader who really needed her vote on on Kavanaugh and she and and he got it. And now we see the result. Jeffrey Tubin, Jennifer Rogers. Thanks so much to both of you. All right. Thanks for nothing. Lubin Tubin. Every time I see him, I just think that he's going to jerk off somewhere in a corner like we really need to listen to him. Regardless, they did say some very important things. And you have to wonder if the leak was done by them in order to start a conversation, right? That's how it is. Did the leak start from them to start conversations? And the conversations about what? To get them up in arms? I I was on the airplane and there was a lady next to me. And I didn't have my eye mask on at the time. And she was listening to CNN and she was agreeing. They were talking about Roe versus Wade. She was like, yep, yep, yep. And so anyway, the stewardess comes, gives water or whatever. And I'm like, right? It's like, can you believe it? They went from Ukraine, let's save the women and children, to we should have the right to kill babies. And they're screaming like demons, I said. We need to kill babies. We should be able to kill them up to 28 days. It's our body, our choice. But when it came to vaccines, it's like you don't have a choice. And she changed the channel. Because when you give someone perspective that they scream like demons, that they need to kill babies, right? That they have that right, like a doctor won't suggest or offer you a medical abortion because you will die or and say, you you know, you will die if you have this and you can't have children after this or you know, you were raped and you really think that you need to abort the baby and it's psychologically imperative that you have it because you're going to lose your mind. Doctor will offer you that abortion. What it's banning is people spreading their legs and not using contraceptives and going to have a lot of abortions because they can. 
and they just enjoy free and unprotected sex because they want to, which is something everyone should be thinking about now with this whole vaccine thing. Now, um, <clears throat> you guys have to understand the enemy that you are fighting. For some reason, people still think that this nation is sovereign. It is on paper, right? Actions speak louder than words. So on paper, we are a free nation. On paper, we dictate our economy. On paper, we dictate um, all the policies in our nation. On paper, we dictate what's FDA approved. MKUltra was definitely FDA approved, right? Um, we on paper have all this. But we the people, our enemy is massive in, I would say, reach, not people. A lot of those people have been mind-wiped over years, but we do have the media. We have the lawyers. We have the politicians. We have the people that have blackmail on them. We have the self-preservationists. We have all of that. And that is exactly what we are up against it is massive. See, I, I, I'm still going through data. I haven't even started the report because as I look at the data, like I actually sat and cried this morning because I was like, wow, this is so big. Like if someone actually, an average person who doesn't enjoy a challenge and who gets overwhelmed easily saw the intricacy and in just how many things were put in place to take this election, they wouldn't be able to get out. They'd be like, fuck it. I'm just, fuck it. That's how bad it is. It's really bad. And you know, today I've had like this pounding headache because I knew uh, I would be facing some certain conversations that I'd have to have. And it's like inside I knew. But you know what pisses me off? It's 2022. I filed my affidavit in 2020, talked about it before the elections, talked about election fraud in 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. I pointed to the things that were important and now everyone's getting on board with what's in my affidavit. And then you have to say, why? Because they expended everything else to just come back to the truth. And it almost feels like the people that were guiding them to avoid the actual questions that should have been asked and the actions to be done were actually swayed by the people that were dragging the feet so 22 months can be up and evidence be destroyed. Hmm. It's really sad. And not only that, the Russia hoax. If anyone listens to my show from 2018 to, to today, you already know how it happened. And now they're coming out with, oh, it was a whole gang. It was all these people. And they were working like this. And they were making shit up. And they were fudging numbers. And they were doing this. And it's all going to come back to Daniel J. Jones. Like Tory said it would. And Amalgamated Bank. Like Tory said it would. Because again, sometimes you don't realize who is talking to you or who is telling you these things. We can destroy the cabal, Right? with millions of dollars and um, shit ton of warfare, law, lawfare as warfare, and finally scratch the surface. Or we can relentlessly file sideways lawfare 
that brings it all out. You have to be seeing intelligence. There's kinetics and then there's grounded intelligence where you actually think and you strategize. It's called game theory. That's how you win. You can take the long and hard road like Durham, which is steady. What is it? Slow and steady wins the race. But if that race ends when no one else is racing, when that turtle crosses and there's no one left racing, there's no point. We need to accelerate the turtle. Maybe put it on a scooter or a skateboard or a Lamborghini. Maybe we should give the donkey roller skates. That's what we should be trying to do. That is what we've been doing. And the only way to do that is by unifying our forces as a people. Um, You know, I have conversations with a lot of people that you guys think are really important. I'm not saying they're not important, but you think they are. Damn, are they petty motherfuckers. Petty. It's all about them. It's all about them. They're all in for themselves. And and when I sit across them, I'm like, I, I think it's bullshit. I mean, why can't we do it like this? Well, the, the people, when I say it clear, don't trust this person, that person, that person, that person, that person, that person. They don't trust anybody, right? And that's because you guys did this. Every single one of you took part in that. The destruction of this nation is because everyone started creating their little cliques, right? Where we go one, we go all. It's either all go to death or all go to freedom. That's the way it goes. And when you start serving the people selflessly, not pretending to be selfless, actually selfless, then that's how you win. God, it's so hard to articulate exactly what I'm feeling like when I see it. It makes me sick. You know, sometimes I'm just like, yeah, you just do that and then you just die and I'll be fine. I say it again. I will be fine. I already know my fate. (laughs) And even though it's kind of like a soldier walking down the street, he's on leave from, I don't know, Afghanistan, right? He's walking down the street and then you've got this, you know, punk ass bitch spitting on him. Yeah, with your fucking uniform. That soldier left his kids, his wife, you know, his home, his car to go have sand in his ass crack so that you can spit on him. And yet he'll still honor that uniform and still fight for every punk ass bitch out there. That's dedication. That is dedication. But then that's also sealing the punk ass bitch's fate too. You can't expect things to happen with evil, with nastiness, with division. I mean, it sounds so counterintuitive. Dude, we're going to totally win this war. We're going to put that guy in a box, that guy in a box, that guy in a box. Fuck them, fuck them, fuck them, fuck them. And then all the Democrats together. And then what are you left with? When you don't have to put that guy in a box, you don't have to put that guy, hey, that guy's doing some really good shit. Hey, let's be friends. Let's do good shit together. You do good shit. I do good shit. That sounds like a plan. We should all work together. Let's all pool together and do this. You remember when we were filing federal lawsuits, right? All of us were pooling together. I think I spent a couple thousand dollars over the months giving people money so they can file their lawsuits because we should all be working together. All of us, every single one of us, you know, you know what sucks? When there's people on the other end bitching, you know, you don't do enough. We need this. We need that. It's like, I, I have kids. I, 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 I'm actually doing shit, right? And I'm trying. I'm one person. 
Yet everyone's needy and demands and creates all these split things. What we need to do is pray. What we need to do is tune out the division. When you see people talking shit, turn that shit off because you give it energy. Oh, I just then subscribe to it just to watch. Still energy. I just watch this. Still energy. I just think it's okay that we talk shit about that person. Still energy. Oh, we're going to attack them all. Still energy. You don't need any box. You don't need any title. And you don't need a leader. You are a leader of your own. And the minute you realize it may be a minute too late. I know most of you that are watching understand it. Right? I know. Most of you that are watching understand it. But... There's a lot of people that don't. See, while we're busy infighting, they're busy stealing the 2022 elections. They're busy building a case against our president. They're busy building a case against us. And they're already deploying the beast system. You think that the COVID thing was, oh, it's just COVID. <laughs> it's a QR code. People from other countries can't come to our nation unless they're documented through a digital system. Our universities here are now requiring digital codes. Everything is being done with a digital code. And then at some point that can be stolen, you know, Patriot Act, you know, some kind of law. Hmm. What did I tell you was the identifier that they will use? Is it your fingerprint? Is it your iris? It's your fucking DNA. And they have been taking it for years through Obamacare. They hold your DNA on file every time you go to the doctor. They share it with, how do they call it? We only share things with third parties that are allowed under federal law. If you actually read Obamacare, that is everybody and their fucking mother. Then you see 2,000 mules. That say exactly what I said, which was they manufacture the evidence, just in case you audit, that there's paper evidence. And not only that, 2,000 mules showed you that they use data from your phones. So every time you use your telephone and you have an app for that, McDonald's burgers, Starbucks, you name it. They know where you are and they sell that data. Oh, it's kind of like um, when I told you Starbucks had put graphene to track people to see where they come from to get their coffee so they can open up their next coffee shop. Unbeknownst to you, another experiment of ingesting something that's completely harmless, but you know, nevertheless tracking you. And why? Because, well, we have the Fourth Amendment. Really? Have you seen that enforced? See, the Fourth Amendment is great when it comes to law enforcement. But when it comes to private companies, like, I don't know how Twitter can ban you, not based on your phone number and your email, but your actual device ID. Device ID, meaning the unique identifier of this device. I get banned from Twitter. I need a new fucking device to get on there to evade detection. A new device. Because it's like the DNA of the, the device. I, you guys don't don't seem to get it. I, I think a lot of people think that, you know, we have to do it together. We can't do it individually. I'm literally putting myself out there showing you, look, I'm getting shot at, still doing it. Look, shot at, still doing it. Look, shot at, people are shooting, still doing it. Hoping that you will do the same. 
I see so many of you that ran for office and won on your committees that are going to be running. We need to run the shit out of everybody in 2023. And I do not want to hear GOP. Now, a lot of people will be like, well, you ran with the GOP. Yeah, because it wasn't supposed to happen until 2024. It wasn't supposed to happen until 2024. And I kind of thought that getting into the GOP and then saying I'm no longer part of the GOP because they suck, right, would have been better too. But I already knew that I was going independent because that's the way it is. It really sucks. And I have a big headache and I've got a lot of work to do and I'm getting really, really frustrated and I'm getting really, really bitchy because the people that I think that should be fighting first are fighting with amongst themselves and it's driving me fucking insane. But, you know, I'm one of the people that had access to the Kraken. That's why I self-identify as the Kraken because I had admin rights, but I digress. I think I've talked about that before. Just now called it. Well, I did say we should release the Kraken, which is all the information. Could you imagine if maybe at some point this database was revealed? I mean, you know, the, the servers that were exploded in Nashville were just a couple. It's such a massive network of intelligence. And then no one seems to think, damn, this bitch has been slandered by everyone. Like global media too. Talking shit, talking shit, talking shit. The guy that actually did all this shit to me shot himself and killed his, his he killed himself rather than go to jail. But yet I'm the bad guy. I work for Brendan, yeah. Yeah, kind of thinking of suing him too. It's just an idea. Just an idea. It's all about timing, right? If anything, this week of me being by myself and working and interacting, obviously I did a couple things, you know, filed a couple this, filed a couple that, whatever. I realized that people are really evil and very self-centered. And I also realized that people are weak. They succumb to passions and self-adoration. It's a new word that I'm teaching one of my lawyers, veneration. It's almost as if people want to be venerated and glorified. And then they will only talk to people that have a title or a tiara. Yet, usually if you have a title or a tiara, it means someone gave it to you and fucking earn it. Titles and tiaras that are earned... You know, like the kings that earned their kingship would ride on the horses in the front with the people and fucking fight with the swords. Nowadays, the king's a pussy. He stays home and eats grapes while everybody goes kills themselves. Right? <laughs> That's the way it is. Titles and tiaras are the ones like AOC that are hiding and crying. Titles and tiaras are like Scalise that takes money from the company that created the vaccines and then scolds them for it, even though he knew that they were making vaccines with the money that they fundraised for. It's so weird and so bizarre. It's like clown world. Hate and love. Same intensity, different type of frequency. And it's unfortunate that people are so into this nastiness on the internet. They all want to find one person they can direct their anger to. This is why it's so easy to start targeting people and talking shit. 
because everybody wants one villain. I want to focus my energy there. Focus. Wrong focus. That's why they do it. It's, it's simple psychology. When the person you should be mad at is really yourself for letting this happen and all those people that have titles and tiaras, you know, you see Don Lamont on the street. People are like, ah, oh, Don Lamont. And it's like biggest fucking loser ever. And then Tubin's on TV. Uh, like I'm the God. I'm telling everyone everything. Yet he was the once wanking on a fucking Zoom call. Anthony Weiner. Pedo. Convicted. Now sitting on Katsimidis' radio station having a radio show for a job. Right? Totally normal. What people do, what people do. And you guys think they're important. I see articles that are coming out and it's like, oh, this, this, you know, I heard from, from some newspaper, I'm not going to mention the newspaper. You know how the articles came out talking about how he was using Peter Henderson as a code name. They didn't even mention the fact that he was using an outside email or anything. Cause they were like, we don't need, to, we don't want to give Tory credibility. This is the right and the left. Ask yourself why both of them are terrified of me. Ask yourself because they know what I had access to. They know I've seen every time they visited a port site. They know every text message that they've sent, I could probably have access to. They also know, well, see, there's a saying with great power comes great responsibility. And see, the thing is, is that you should never exercise the power that you have. No matter how much you want to freaking do it. No matter how much you want to torch someone. No matter how much you want to pull someone's pants down. You don't do it. Because it's not right. Because normally no one else would. And it's not right. It's not your lesson to learn. It's theirs. In the end, they will pull their pants down. Because we're speaking that into reality, right? So that's how it fixes itself. You can speak anything into reality. And here's the reality that I'm speaking. When I'm done with this, so much truth will be dragged out that people will not know what to do. And for all those out there that have di divided the people with hate, vitriol, and fake-ass narratives, well... They won't be able to walk on the street. You think it's just about the Democrats? They already know they can't walk on the street. That was directed to you who are dividing the people. We already know the mainstream media does it. They can't walk on the street. We already know the politicians are fucked up. They can't walk down the street. That message was not to the blue-haired bitch, not to the screaming, I want to kill my baby. It was to you. The ones that divided the people. The people will remember everything you have done and everything you have said. Recompense is a bitch and the clock's really ticking now. So people should be very careful as to what they do. Because in the end, well, it all comes down to that. God always cuts you down. That's the way it is. Hear the lyrics. Good night. We need the lyrics. Definitely. 
Can't have this song without lyrics. Here we go. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Go tell that long tongue liar, go and tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news. My head's been wet with the midnight dew. I've been down on bended knee, talking to the man from Galilee. He spoke to me with a voice so sweet. I thought I heard the shuffle of angels' feet. He called my name and my heart stood still. When he said, John, go do my will, go tell that long-tongued liar, go and tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell him that God's gonna cut him down, tell him that God's gonna cut him down. 